So a priest, an alcoholic, and a hornet walk into a bathroom and then decide to take a shower. No, this isn't a joke. It's today's story. Hello and welcome back, everybody. I'm Ryan Whitley. <laughs> oh, I'm Jessica Burke. And I'm Damian Smith. And together we're Whiskey and the Weird. It's season two. And we are excited this season to be bringing you stories from Crawling Horror, Creeping Tales of the Insect Weird, edited by Daisy Butcher and Jeanette Leaf. It's a part of the British Library's Tales of the Weird series, which collects weird stories of yesteryear from mostly obscure authors, but perhaps not tonight's, and compiles them according to a theme. Each season will bring you an exploration of a different book in the series, and each episode will take you in-depth to one of the stories in a full spoiler sort of way. Jess is our master story planner, so Jess, what is our story tonight? It's a good one. It is An Egyptian Hornet by Algernon Blackwood. And a great story it is, Jess, but before we get to that, we've got some bar talk to do. Damien, what's in your glass tonight? Uh, Tonight, I thought I'd go with a thematic cocktail, but not just any cocktail, in order to honor Ryan and and his uh, affinity for making sure that we keep scotch as present as possible, I did do a scotch cocktail tonight, and it's called the Bee Sting. Now, there are a few interpretations of the Bee Sting. One is just a spicy version of a bee's knees, which is a gin and honey cocktail. But mine marries scotch with Baron Jaeger. Um, some of you may know Jaegermeister, the same bottler, creates a honey liqueur called Baron Jaeger, which means bear hunter, with a Fernet Branca. Uh, the original recipe calls for tangerine juice, but I had to use orange juice. I spiked it with a little bit of honey to sweeten it up a bit. And then to make it a bit of a flip, to give it a foamy head, I put in some egg white and a few dashes of Angostura bitters. It is really cool. It's all over the place. It kind of reminisces a little bit with a blood and sand or a rusty nail with the sweetness. Uh, but scotch ba- this scotch-based cocktail is one I would strongly recommend to anyone who is on the fence or skeptical about scotch-based cocktails. Uh, it is, again, called the Bee Sting. And uh, you can find the recipe in our show notes uh, on wherever you get your podcast. As far as what I'm enjoying, last episode I was talking about this book, Severance by Ling Ma, that I read. And so I started watching the Apple Plus series, (laughs) Severance, (laughs) starring Adam Scott and uh, directed by Ben Stiller. And it is very weird. I'm very early in 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 the series. But it's they're not great, related. They're not whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but the concept is really novel. It's where essentially you opt into a procedure that separates your work life from your home life. And so you are living two different personas uh, in one corporeal form. And uh, it's a really, really cool, visually, aesthetically pleasing and odd uh, series. And I can't wait to dive deeper into it. It's really got me hooked early on. That sounds pretty cool, Damien. Jessica, how about you? I am drinking a big glass of Bull Run straight bourbon whiskey. Um, this one's made in Portland. Uh, it's great. It's warm. It's sweet. It's kind of gingery. Um, and along with that, I've been watching the series From, which is on Epics with an X. Uh, I don't know what. Is that it? Is it Epics or Epics? I never oh. knew that. I don't know. I've never, I've never heard it's it. Epics. Is it Epics? Epics? Yes, it's I don't know. Epics. It's got to be Epics. Well, I've, I've never heard anyone watch anything. But I don't know how you watch it. I know we had it for a while when we had cable. And right now, my uh, Amazon whatever has Epics on it. So it's a series called From. And From huh. is like, what if Stephen King made Lost? But okay. also... The producers of Lost were working on it, and some of the stars of Lost were on it. So it's basically, <laughs> uh, it's basically Lost, um, but with a much smaller budget, since we don't know what Epics is or how to find it. Um, it's about like a haunted town that you're kind of trapped in, um, some like ghosty ghouls, um, Acting is a little bit hit or miss, but it kind of hits the spot. Like if you like that lost kind of thing where it's just kind of like big mystery, big set, you have a whole town to kind of explore. Um, Again, that's called From. I've never watched Lost. 
confession, well, full confession. I've never seen can... it. You've you, well, then you've seen it as much of pe- as people who have watched Lost. Let's yeah. just put it that yeah. way. But anyway, now you can watch a new Lost, but it's called From. Well, I will look for that wherever epics may be found. <laughs> Or epics, or epics, which is what, which is what I think my mother requests of my children. Uh, send me some epics of the kids. Please. Yes, I think I think that that is yes. We share that. <laughs> so tonight I am drinking the Lafroig Triple Wood, which is a very smoky whiskey. And I was getting ready to tell you what the three woods are that are involved in this whiskey, and they don't say on the bottle. So this may, I may have fallen victim to a marketing tactic here. Pencil shavings. Yeah, it just talks about oak. Paper. So unless it's three different kinds of oak, I don't know. Uh, it is oak a, trees. Lafroig is a very good whiskey in general. It is an Isla whiskey. It comes with that peat smoke, uh, which others have described as blood and earth tasting. Um, it's not an entry level mm. whiskey. I think I was drinking the Glen Morangi last week, which is an entry level whiskey. Uh, this is not an entry-level whiskey. This is at least a 300-level uh, class uh, of whiskey. So, But I, I'm there, so I've enjoyed it in the past, and I'm enjoying it again tonight. My recommendation for you tonight is a movie I watched on Hulu called Fresh. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell mm-hmm. you that after I watched it, I was not okay. Uh, mm-hmm. it, is one of, <laughs> it is one of those horror movies, and as a watcher of many horror movies, this really got to me. Um, it is an interestingly produced and designed movie in that um, it starts off as what might be considered a romantic comedy. It's uh, really It gets about 40 body. minutes into it, and then it goes, bam, hits yeah. you upside the head. And the opening credits then start, which is a lot of fun. It's like now the movie really starts, and boy, does it! Title card thirty minutes in is always a is always a bold choice. Yeah, it it and it just it really worked in this case, though. Yeah. Um, I don't know that this movie is going to be for everybody. I will say that it deeply unsettled me, um, and and is one of those rare horror movies that can do that for a horror movie veteran. So, uh, if you're looking for a a good scare. And you are perhaps uh, a bit, um, how shall we say, inured to the general <laughs> themes of horror. You might try fresh on Hulu. Let's not let's not skip past the fact that I thought Daisy Edgar Jones. I don't know if I would call this her breakout role, but she was no, the, extremely the strong was awesome. as the female protagonist. Really, there's, really there's some really amazing dialogue that when you listen to it and you're watching this movie and you're listening to it, if you just uh, you know, if you suspend disbelief and put yourself at mm-hmm. the table with some of these conversations, you're like, holy cow, this is actually being discussed. And it is right. absolutely wild. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good movie. It's a well-made movie in addition to being just profoundly unsettling. So uh, a, a great horror take from Hulu. Fresh is the name of the movie. Well, tonight we're talking about an Egyptian hornet by Algernon Blackwood. Born on March the 14th, 1869 in Shooters Hill, southeastern London, Algernon Henry Blackwood has been described by literary critic and known crank S.T. Joshi as, quote, having work that is more consistently meritorious than any weird writers except Dunsany's. Blackwood's father, Sir Stevenson Arthur Blackwood, was secretary of the post office and a strict Calvinist. His mother was the widowed Duchess of Manchester. Blackwood would, in classic teenage fashion, reject his father's narrow religious views, and after being introduced to Hinduism by an Indian classmate, would go on to explore Eastern religious thought, settling finally on Buddhism. Following a failed attempt at beginning a medical career, he moved to Canada and started a dairy farm. Unfortunately, that also failed. He spent that summer in the Canadian backwoods, engaged in a popular activity even today, taking a gap year and finding yourself. (laughs) There followed various other fits and starts, but it wasn't until the year 1900, back in England, that he discovered the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn a secret occult society focusing its practices on thergy, 
a kind of benevolent ritual magic dealing with the evoking of one or more deities and spiritual development. All three founders of the Golden Dawn were also Freemasons, interestingly enough. Mm. Ensconced in the Golden Dawn, Blackwood's interest in the paranormal returned and he began to write. His first collection, The Empty House and Other Ghost Stories, was published in 1906, and he followed that up with his popular occult detective series of stories featuring John Silence, physician extraordinary. The writing really began to flow then, but World War I interrupted his output as he enlisted as a military intelligence officer, and after the war, he went right back to writing. He caught the attention of H.P. Lovecraft, who praised him effusively in the essay Supernatural Horror in Literature. Of all his work, two novellas would become the most popular. The Wendigo, published in 1910, is a chilling story of five men lost in the Canadian wilderness with the eponymous Algonquin spirit, a story which children of the 80s likely first encountered in scary stories to tell in the dark, complete with terrifying Stephen Gemmell illustrations. (laughs) The best. Absolutely the best. The stickiest. I still remember them all. The other novella is a classic of weird fiction and should be read by every fan of the genre, hands down. And that's The Willows, which Lovecraft considered to be the best weird tale of all time. It's about two friends on a canoe trip down the Danube, with ominous and threatening nature encroaching all around. Seriously, y'all, it'll make you rethink camping. Blackwood himself would summarize his interests in this way, quote, my fundamental interest, I suppose, is signs and proofs of other powers that lie hidden in us all. The extension, in other words, of human faculty, end quote. Blackwood suffered several strokes, and on December the 10th, 1951, he perished, leaving behind a weird fiction legacy which is unrivaled. Our story tonight, An Egyptian Hornet, was published in the March 1915 edition of Reedy's Mirror, a literary journal out of St. Louis, which billed itself as the Midwest Weekly. Popular contributors included Robert Frost, Carl Sandburg, Ezra Pound, Edna St. Vincent Millay, and Sarah Teasdale. So Jess, I believe you have our summary tonight for An Egyptian Hornet. I sure do. Our story opens with a description of hornets and how evil they are. They're stinging and scary and awful, and the Egyptian hornet is the worst of all because it has all of the usual terrible qualities, but is also gigantic. Uh, Mm -hmm. We start out announcing that the Egyptian hornet is the devil. On that note, one morning in April, the Reverend James Milligan wakes up to get ready for his day. He's staying at a hotel in Egypt, looking out at the desert. Uh, He's performing a Sunday morning service for English tourists in a couple of hours, so it is time to get ready for the day. Milligan is described as sort of a mean jerk. He is not young, but not old. He has no family. He's self-sufficient and competent, but also pompous, vain, and mean as a rat. Classic clergyman. After he wakes up, he walks across the hall from his room to the bathroom, carrying a towel, a sponge, soap, and ammonia for some reason. (laughs) He's probably trying to create life. I mean, I'm not even going to question it, honestly. Do whatever you want. When he opens the door, he sees a giant hornet on the window across the room. It takes Milligan a minute to realize what he's looking at, and he walks right up to the window before freezing in terror. He slowly tiptoes backwards, congratulating himself on being a man of such self-control. There's a funny line in here about how he has so much self-control that he doesn't even frown when people leave his sermons early, which I thought was a really good little character trait. Um, So now that he's backed a few feet away from the hornet, he again freezes, And this time he's proud of his decisiveness. He realizes he's nearly naked because he's getting ready to take a bath. So he has to consider that anything he does to this hornet 
could result in him being stung. He stares at the hornet, describing it in hateful detail. It looks like a weapon, a dancer, an abomination. He wants to throw a towel at it. Uh, (laughs) This entire time, the bug hasn't moved. It is just sitting on the windowsill. But Milligan is assigning it every terrible characteristic he can think of. It is waiting for him to do something. It's watching him. It's stalking him. And as soon as he moves, it's going to take off and it's going to sting him in the ankles. He hears other people in the hotel waking up and he knows that he needs to do something. So he sneaks into the little room with a tub in it and gently closes the door with the hornet on the other side and he takes a bath. Uh, In this tub shower room, um, he notes that all of the windows are closed. The door is closed. And so there's no way the bug could get in. Uh, which makes him act very brave. He splashes around. He makes a ton of noise. He's not afraid at all. Um, Obviously, because he's so unafraid, uh, this is why he takes his time, stalling as long as possible, getting out of the tub, drying off. Eventually, he has to open the door to get back to the larger part of the bathroom, but he immediately slams it shut. The hornet is on the move. It's now on the ground, just outside of the room he's in. With the door closed, his imagination goes into overdrive. He can feel the bug bug stinging him all over his body, including on top of his bald head. He can picture the hornet sitting (laughs) on the ground. On top of where? So close for comfort. Bald head. (laughs) He can picture the hornet sitting on the ground, waiting for him like it's preparing for battle. Uh, This is the funniest part, especially since it's all in his mind. He saw its tiny waist already writhing with the lust of battle. Oh, he Ugh. was upset about that waist, wasn't he? Ugh. It's <laughs> tiny waist. He thinks that he had his, his normal nerve. He'd squash that bug like a bug. But he's a big chicken, and so he tries to figure out how he can call a servant to help him get out of the bathroom. Just then, Milligan hears someone walking towards the bathroom. And you can immediately tell from the footsteps that it's Mullins, a guy he hates. Mullins drinks, and he's going to be annoyed that Milligan is taking so long in the bathroom. Obviously, a terrible human. So Milligan genuinely believes that this hornet may sting him, and that will cause him to die. But now that Mullins is here, the risk is split. And so... Because he thinks that Mullins is such a bad guy, he's the one who deserves to get stung, not Milligan. Milligan fakes being very brave, walks out into the bathroom, stepping over the hornet. He's going to pretend he doesn't see it. And when Mullins gets close, he's going to disturb the bug and he will get stung. Mulligan, Milligan, (sighs) Milligan, (laughs) keeps walking towards the door, but pauses so that he can see Mullins get stung. Uh, Unfortunately, fortunately, Mullins (laughs) immediately sees the hornet and actually does something about it. He grabs it with a towel and chucks it out of the window where it just flies away. Instead of being grateful, Milligan is embarrassed and wishes the hornet would have stung Mullins. He then decides he hates the whole race of men which is an incredible reaction (laughs) to someone just being less cowardly than you. (laughs) Mullen looks at him and Milligan knows that he knows that he saw the hornet and didn't say anything. And Milligan also knows that now this is going to be a story that Mullins tells everyone else at the hotel and it's going to make Milligan look bad. But Milligan convinces himself that it's not his fault because the righteous never have any luck but now he's stuck knowing that he's inferior to Mullins, which is a fate worse than being stung. That's it. Excellent summary. <laughs> Meanwhile, this this poor hornet is sitting there, right? And the it's only thing this hornet is living his life is like, is like, sup, bro? Don't take all the hot water. Just basking in the steam. <laughs> just really, you know, glistening that carapace. <laughs> just trying it, to air the wings out. His tiny waist. <laughs> what 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 is your preferred tactic when you encounter a stinging insect like a wasp or a hornet inside your home? Uh, Tupperware, piece of paper, out the door. Oh, the humane tactic. No, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a good approach. I never kill. Uh, my wife wants me to kill anything that <laughs> is in our house <laughs> that is non-human and non-canine. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't. I catch and release. That being said, uh, I have an anecdote here where in college, I went to the University of Florida, Gainesville, Florida, go Gators. And I will never forget this one time where I was sitting in uh, the quad, I guess you could say, by our union. And uh, it was a big, open, grassy space, a few sidewalks kind of threading in the in the area. But obviously, when you marry like North Florida weather, a lot of trees and leftover like pizza crusts and crap like that, you're going to see a lot of squirrels. Uh, and there was this guy, <laughs> this huge, like really tough, had to be, you know, six three, six four, just a real beefy gent that was walking, could have been a football player uh, through this area. But you're describing and a squirrel for a second. <laughs> could have been. Beefy could have been froze terrified and stared straight ahead like hands trembling at his side and i realized he was staring at a squirrel that was like 10 feet in front of him and he bellowed i know what you're thinking squirrel (laughs) and then he did this like keeping the squirrel in his line of sight he did this like walking semicircle around the squirrel giving that same 10 foot birth until he was on the other side and continued walking his way this was the only thing he said. Young is, Milligan. At I know what you're thinking, squirrel. I mean, he was terrified of the squirrel, but I've never laughed so hard once he was out of earshot, of course. Right. Yeah. Because he's enormous. I, yeah. Because he was enormous. I don't want to get the brunt of that, but I never laughed so hard on seeing someone's reaction to this common, like, you know, lawn varmint. It was really funny. That's very funny. A squirrel well, is really funny. You guys are both kinder than I am because if there is a bee or a wasp in my house, it gets the business end of my flip-flop pretty quick. Well, <laughs> tell you what, PETA's going to be on your case, sir, because bees are experiencing a little bit of a population tumult. So at least save We the don't bee. have a, we. I will Do say the hornets however you want. Hornets are pests, but we, bees, we, we got to keep those honeybees alive. We have a problem with, with wasps, particularly in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and um, they, they're all, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them around our house. So they get sprayed, but, Periodically, one will will come into the house, and it it does meet a um, a flat demise. Yeah. So this is the type of story I describe as a short, sharp shock. It's a bit longer than a piece of flash fiction. It wastes nothing, has a laser focus, and I wondered what you guys made of this, and do you think its brevity is appropriate or misplaced? I think it's. Great. I think if it was longer, it would be weirder. Like, yeah. and not in a good way. Like, weirder no. in like, why are we reading thirty pages about someone stuck in the bathroom? Yeah, it'd like be drug the, out. Yeah, <laughs> the pace on this is great. Wakes up, sees a wasp, freaks out, hides. You know, it's just like everything happens very quickly. Invents um, invents some reason to like stick it to his enemy. Right. It's yeah. It's, it's so it's, short, but he still has these like entire imagined scenarios right right? like you can just see him hiding behind a door being like oh god that wasp it's flexing its little wasp muscles it's 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 tiny waist it's 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 (laughs) a tiny waist comment kind of threw me off a little bit i know i I I had to set the book down be like i'll come back to this in 30 seconds uh no but uh, i agree wholeheartedly it's it's a dense short number of pages because it focuses on a scene it is it is a Mm -hmm. scene that's Mm -hmm. all it is Mm -hmm. But it's a scene well executed and well rounded. You don't walk away not knowing anything from the scene. And you get, <laughs> especially in even the last few paragraphs, you get a couple lovely nuggets that sort of um, interpret what we just read in the previous six or seven pages. And I think that that's really super effective. At first, I was like, how is this even a story? It doesn't feel rounded, it doesn't feel like there's an arc. It is literally a man who walks into a shower and gets scared <laughs> of a hornet and has to reconcile as to what he's going to do once he sees that hornet. Uh, and then it wraps up with like some lush, you know, coming and being like, oh, look, a wasp. It's real. And, you know, whips it with his <laughs> towel and then throws it out a window. And you're like, oh, that was it. But it speaks volumes. And especially as the denouement falls and you hear a little bit more about the interpersonal relationships and how they see this as being symbolic as to who they are as people. It gives it that heft that the brevity can't afford it. And so I thought it was super, super effective. I like, well, the and short, I've got to say sharp... too, we, we need to pay attention to the fact that, uh, the Millens, is that his name at the end? The, the, the drunkard, 
his, his method of you. Mullins, yeah, his method of removing Mullins the hornet is picking it up and throwing yeah. it out a window. <laughs> yep. So I don't know if either of you looked up Egyptian hornets. Oh yeah, they're um, they're the size of a palm. They're the size of uh, of uh, yeah of your hand. They're they're yeah. huge. Yeah. Um. So to pick it up and to throw it out would would be, I suppose a a, a fair strategy. Um. The it's more I think move. about the that's the a swagger th- move. Uh, well, it is, but he was also <laughs> really he was also like in the bag and a yeah, he was over. Um. So the more I think about it, too, like the thin waist, their waists are ridiculously <laughs> thin. Like, how can that be a living creature with a waist that small? Because all it carries is their spine. Yeah. Well, it's horrifying. The more I thought about it, it's a spinal cord. Mm. They have to have a nervous like pathway that goes through all segments of their body. Whatever goes through there is small, and it's very little. It's 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 unsettlingly small. I'll put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) It's the foot binded of the insect world. That's right. (laughs) Foot bound. Foot binded. We'll go with foot binded. Okay. So y'all, Blackwood is known for using nature and natural elements to unsettle readers. Appropriate for a bug collection, this story features a large hornet. Did Blackwood's writing about the natural world succeed in unsettling you? I don't think the bug is scary at all. It's everything is just in this guy's mind. It's just sitting on the window and then it like falls on the floor. But he's got this like idea in his head that he is going to get stung and he is going to die. He imagines it like stinging him all over his body. Yeah. Um, he's worried about his ankles because he like doesn't have any pants on. Like That's not what I'd be worried about. Yeah, that's not what I'd be worried about either. <laughs> I don't, yeah, Take I don't, those ankles, please. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the temperament of a random wasp that flies in, but it was, it was just sitting there. I don't think it was scary or unsettling. I think what is the temperament of hornets in general? Aren't they aggressive? They're aggressive by nature. Honeybees, people tend to, uh, people tend to attribute wasp aggressiveness to honeybees. And that's part of the, like the misnomer as to why bees get a bad rep. Wasps are innately aggressive and they act more as hunters than they are protectors. I mean, I agree with Jess. It, it, the wasp was such like a non-factor, but the the inane nature of just walking in. Uh, first of all, he's in he's in a, a, an environment he's not comfortable with or he's not used to. So seeing these six inch watch or six inch wasps, he's tired. It's the right, morning. Are probably commonplace for for locals, but not for him. And he's just like, oh wow, look at this thing. And he he painted all these weird pictures as to how aggressive he would be and how endangered he would be if he ever encountered one. And meanwhile, to Jess's point. The wasp was just sitting there, like soaking up the steam, just like enjoying <laughs> his day. You know, he just probably ate a nice little bundle of pollen. I, I don't know, wasp seed, but a croissant. You know, he's just, yeah, a croissant uh, and a baklava. I don't know. Uh, but he, you know, he's just sort of chilling. And I thought that that was super effective as to what sort of terrors go on in the mind right. of someone who's encountering something for the first time. But you know, you got to hand it to him too, right? Like you've all had this feeling like there's, there's a, there's a bug around and I feel like I'm being bitten or stung. Like, yeah. I mean, particularly here in Florida, right? Like if I'm sitting outside, I'm being eaten by a mosquito. I know it, right. whether it's true or not. I know it's true somewhere. Yeah. And I, and I think, Damien, to quote you from a much earlier episode, perhaps even from season season one, if there's a mosquito in your room when you go to bed, you said you would irradiate the room. <laughs> so I know that this is a this is a fear that you have. <laughs> uh, I don't really like mosquitoes. Yeah, they're they're harbingers of uh, of disease and death. But I like living in New England. I I have that feeling about ticks. And, yeah. But the opposite because they're so small. Yeah. You can't see them anywhere. Like all of a sudden you're sitting there, and then three days later someone says, "Hey, what's that behind your ear?" And you have this swollen tick that's been like hanging out with your blood Feasting. vessels yeah. for the past forty eight hours, and you're like, ah. Uh, so I, but the concept of like just being there and not being used to local fauna, uh, is, is really sort of interesting. And this was a great character introspective more so than I thought a scary tale. Well, that, that takes me to my next question perfectly. Then where does this Hornet sit in the ranking of creepy bugs that we've encountered so far in this collection? There's a lot of imagery of it's a weapon. It's like a jet. It's a mm-hmm. bomb. It's a missile. It's a, a bullet. bullet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Don't we actually call one of our attack 
Jets, uh, Hornet. I, I believe you. Cool research, but, bro. <laughs> but <laughs> listeners this, in the Air Force, please let us know. Yeah. But the U.S. Air Force. Hornet isn't doing anything. Like it's not a bullet or a weapon or a bomb. It's just, again, it's just sitting there. So it's so funny to be like, oh my god, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Uh, he, he's trying to like psych himself up, and it's a. For what? He, then he just walks over it. Like, it's a lot of effort for just one bug. But he walks over it doing the, like... Right, I don't... You know, oh, I don't like, yeah, it's I just, don't like, pretend it. it's not there. I'm not yeah, paying exactly. attention to you. It's so silly. Um, and I think the asininery really kind of kind of takes you out of the, the scary element, I think, of that, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, if it was, like, some of the other stories we've read, the beetles are flying around and you can hear them. There's right. music or there's, you know, ticking or whatever. This, I think he hears it when it, like, falls off the windowsill yeah. and slams the door. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Other than that, it's not moving at all. And so but it no- is a little bit. And he, like, imagines it as, like, scurrying towards him. But it's actually just a bug on a wet floor. A bug it's on a wet, like steamy floor breathing. just trying to get his footing. Just, like... <laughs> I'm just trying to get out, bro. Can you open this window? Thank you. I don't Do you want mind? to be here yeah. anymore. Yeah, I don't it's know. so I, odd. I, I have a fear of being stung by wasps and hornets and things. I'm not allergic to them, but I do fear that. I, I don't look forward to that experience. So I got to say that for me, like this bug, in terms of the scariness of bugs that we've read about so far, this ranks up there with uh, with that caterpillars one, which was particularly what? Freaky. Yeah, Crazy. for me, like this one is high. See, I I see this one as being like size wise. The fact that you know you have this also yeah, it's hornet. huge. It's also it's but it's cartoonish, right? It's caricatured. It's it's like the wicked flea. The wicked flea it's to me really, wasn't very scary. The yeah. scariest part of that was that fleas were eating other fleas and becoming cannibalistic. <laughs> but the end result, the giant wicked flea, wasn't terrifying. It was cartoonish. And I see the same thing here. I am mo- much more it's scared. Not what and Sergeant McGinnis like, thought or whatever. His like name like was. last last um last summer, I went to move some dead wood out from my backyard, and I unleashed a swarm of ground hornets, and they stung the hell out of me. Mm. But it was like, mm. I mean, it sucked, right? But I, I kind of felt like a real bro about it because it was like, oh, get these things off me. And then I tore my shirt off. My wife was like, oh, you stud. And then I just kept like slathering myself in calamine lotion, and then we made sweet love later. Now that none of that happened, except I actually <laughs> did get stung by a lot of hornets. Um, and she saw it, and she was like, oh, that's disgusting. I find myself uh, speechless. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, so the concept of like getting overwhelmed by a swarm is more scary or is more right. terrifying to me than a single giant bug that is non-threatening whatsoever. It may a look theme like that we gaming. keep coming back to. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So You're yeah, in the, in, bug. Yeah. in the in the uh, archive of past historical scary bugs, caterpillars is still the scariest because they were ugly, they were terrifying, they were vascular, veiny, they had anus mouths, and there were a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave you cancer. Yeah, that's true, too. All right. Let's talk about metaphors then for a second. What do you think the characters of the Reverend Milligan and Mr. Mullins are stand-ins for? What about the Hornet even? When I saw the denial and the terror and some of the descriptions, and I know this is going to sound terrible, uh, but I have some preconceptions (laughs) about, uh, you know, what we see in the headlines and unfortunately, it's what we see in the headlines about some of the worst actors within organized religion mm-hmm. um, about how they take their positions of power and affect trust of parishioners, of youths, sure. et cetera. Absolutely. And so when I saw these weird visions and fears and trepidations about how this religious figurehead was viewing this emblem of fear and evil and giving it these weird human characteristics like tiny waist and like a penetrating factor. I did sort of draw some of those conclusions that we can imagine when we think of the worst case scenario of hearing about religious figures in the news. Well, and, and, that and particularly, is, I don't think that's far off, Damien, because particularly when we learned that that was the way in which Blackwood regarded his father, the strict Calvinist. Right. Yeah. I think that he's he's got Milligan, uh, the Reverend Milligan in here, standing in for that type of believer. Right. And I think that was I think that was sort of um, 
unfortunately validated by the end of the story where <laughs> Mullins doesn't have to sit here and like paint a picture. He knows that he's an alcoholic and, and shrewd and he's a, 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 a lout and he's not really making any friends. But at the end of the day, he said, I am a superior human. I don't even think we know that. Like, I think he. It's the last line of the story. And no, I no, think that like that I was a targeted Mulligan, attack. Against... Mulligan thinks that M- Mullins, Mullins doesn't say it. Yeah, no, Mullins thinks that about himself, and Mullins is the alcoholic, and he knows right. okay. that he's we don't a superior know person. That and why is, is an... he saying that about Milligan? We don't know that Mullins is an alcoholic. Even we know that Milligan is just Milligan like, thinks he is. Well, he thinks he drinks, oh, but okay. like that could even be just like he has seen him drinking, right? Like he's ascribing all these like moral superiorities to himself and then you know gets bested by a bug and has to kind of face the reality of like oh this guy that in his mind is this terrible alcoholic was just like he could just be a regular guy who wanders into the bathroom. yeah and that's that's <laughs> yeah. where i want to go with it jess and 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 i come at this this story from a slightly uh different angle because i am a man of the cloth as as damien keeps referring to me as padre <laughs> Um, so, so I, I see this, like, this is a thing that ministers can do with, with parishioners that, um, that they find difficult for one reason or another, they can assign them all sorts of heinous attributes, which sure. may or may not be true, right. right? This is, this, this is a true thing that happens. And that's what I think that the Hornet represents is like, that's the thing that is getting blown out of proportion. I think from what we can tell, based upon the text of the story alone, Mr. Mullins is just a dude trying to take a shower that may have had one too many last night, right? Yeah, this describes sure. roughly 99.9% of the population on Earth from time to time. And uh, after, after all these scotches tonight, it's going to describe right. me tomorrow. Right. That's no question. Yeah. Like, 100% there is no, there is no moral hosts. failing here on Mullins's part. There is no, there is no, no notorious that we know sin that, that we know of. That's demonstrated in the story. That, right? Yeah. That, that's demonstrated in the story. We have the reverend who's blowing something out of proportion in the end, sadly, to make himself look good. Like, look how heroic I am and look how crazy right. he's going to be. <laughs> yeah. um, and the Hornet is the thing that gets that gets blown out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything to the this was a curious thing to me. Is there anything in your minds to the names of the two characters being so similar? Milligan and Mullins there. I mean, when you have the whole panoply of human <laughs> names to choose from for your yeah. for your piece of almost flash fiction. Um, why not choose two that sound different? Yeah. It so gets what do you think? Tri- what do you think Blackwood's doing there? It gets tricky at the end because there's kind of that f- fake back and forth where they're picturing what the other one is thinking. Uh, and so it's a little bit tough to figure or to keep them straight just in like the last page of the book, because one is picturing the other one and imagining what he's, thinking what Mullins must be thinking about what him. He must be thinking about him, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. And so he's doing the exact same thing he did with the wasp of like, oh, this wasp is scary. It's out to get me. Oh, Mullins is going to use this information against me. And so, it, yeah, it's weird that they're kind of framed as like different sides of the same coin, right? They are, the names are so similar. They're yeah. doing the same activity at the same time, but one is a reverend coward and the other is you know, hungover shower time guy, you know, like, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting, Jess. I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I pieced that together or had that in my mind when I was reading it, but hearing about that and just assigning names to these two characters that allow them to be close enough to where they could be, as Jess mentioned, two sides Mm -hmm. of the same coin. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. So that's pretty insightful. Yeah. I I think that by the end of the story, we're, we're meant to kind of smash these two characters together in our heads. Yeah. There's enough of the, like, well, Milligan thinks that Mullen knows that Milligan knows that he's going to tell this story. You know, it's just like, yeah, okay. it's easy to sort of blend them yeah. to it could have been <laughs> right. any, any right. name with any name and just knowing that they're talking about the other person, but that it could have gone either way. That's, that's a, and if you mix both of their names device. together, you get a Mulligan, which is a do over in golf. And maybe both of these men <laughs> wish they could have had a do over for this whole scenario. Right. Right. 
So <laughs> this this is one of those stories that just ensorcelled me right from the very first paragraph. And I have it did uh, what now? Uh huh. Yeah, it ensorcelled. Did it ensorcel you? I'm feeling yeah. pretty ensorcelled. Like Jess, Jess, did it ensorcel you? Well, I'm feeling ensorcelled right now. I'm a bit ensorcelled. I don't know if I'm completely ensorcelled. Have another drink, Damien. You can become more ensorcelled. <laughs> I I look forward to your ensorcelment. All right. <laughs> I loved this first paragraph. It was great. I thought I I I, I highlighted it in in orange, which means I have to read it to all of you. As long as it's in orange, ensorcel orange. The word has an angry, malignant sound that brings the idea of attack vividly into the mind. There is a vicious sting about it somewhere. Even a foreigner, ignorant of the meaning, must feel it. A hornet is wicked. It darts and stabs. It pierces, aiming without provocation for the face and eyes. The name suggests a metallic droning of evil wings, fierce light and poisonous assault. Though black and yellow, it sounds scarlet. There is blood in it, a striped tiger of the air in concentrated form. There is no escape if it attacks. And I just wanted to get your opinions on that first paragraph as a first paragraph. And perhaps particularly of the last three words and what you thought those were deployed for, if it attacks. I thought this was the most fun introduction where you are getting set up to read a story about a killer wasp, right? Yeah. Like you, mm-hmm. like I went into this. No like, bones about it. This oh is what we God. got. And then the, if it attacks, well, it doesn't, it sits on the floor. It buzzes around a little bit. Like, I think that line is great of like, here's what your expectations are. Here's what Milligan's is going to think about this hornet. If it does something. Yeah, I think I think the omnipresence <laughs> of hornets means that anyone who's reading the story has probably encountered them at one at one point and can identify with some of these characters. I mean, it could be a little hyperbole, and yeah, it reads as hyperbole a bit, right? But it's effective hyperbole, and it shows that there are some people out there that I mean, maybe it's spiders, but maybe it is hornets. That's the real like trigger insect, and this instantly strikes me as something that says this person is terrified of hornets. And they have valid reasons whether or not I agree with them. Well, and I mean, the poetic way that it's presented is just makes it more effective. Even if you don't have a terrible fear of hornets, it it doesn't take much to have a hyperbolic reaction to a oh, large, yeah. aggressive, stinging insect in the room. Well, any sort of insect, <laughs> particularly I mean, walking into a while spider nude, web, right? Give me a give me a break. You ever walk into a spider web? You see how the reaction is? People don't go like, right. oh, let me gently wipe this spider web off. My right? Face. No, they flip they start out, flailing yeah. around and yeah. like smashing their face into a wall. Right? And that is an aggressive they, reaction. They hurt to themselves. Very, yeah, in yeah, the they react- do. So the I, I mean, I get it. That's the thing is that whether or not you agree with it, you still get it. You know, you get it. And I think that that really sets the stage nicely to get into the mindset and to empathize. And se- or at least sympathize with what uh, Milligan is going through. But what yeah, about think- those last three words, if it attacks? What do you think Blackwood is doing with those? I thought it was really similar to how he introduces Milligan. So here's the wasp. It's so scary. Here's Hornet. I don't know the difference. Uh, here's everything terrible that it's going Libyan. to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the list of all the, it's going to sting your face. It's going to do this. Dash, dash, dash. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. But then we're introduced Milligan. He's self-sufficient and he's so smart and he, you know, he's not old, but he's not young. Dash, dash, dash. Also, he's a super mean jerk. Like you see both sides to him and both sides to the Hornet at the same time. So here's one side of it or not. And here's one side of Milligan. And you're probably going to see this other side. I don't know. I like the contrast just in that first page of introducing a hornet as something terrifying and dangerous, but not really. But maybe. And a reverend who's self-sufficient and uh, like skilled at his job and also a pompous jerk. Right. Yeah, I would say it was I would right. say it was clever foreshadowing. I mean, if it attacks, hey, guess what? It ended up not attacking. Yeah. So 
really it's set like, the stage. It's like there. reverse foreshadowing. Like it didn't right. do the thing you want a little you bit. wanted it to do. Yeah. But also, I mean, it, it gave an out. It wasn't like we were saying when it attacks. It's when if it, it attacks. attacks. Which yeah, would have exactly. been a way different intro. It would have. It would have been. So I, I think it was very I think it was very poignant. It was very um uh purposeful and it was effective. So let's talk about the writing in general then. What did you think of the writing? And would you be inclined to read more Blackwood if you haven't already? I would. Yeah, no question. It was it was zesty. It was a little more approachable than zesty. I thought. It was zesty. Yeah. It was zesty. It was such a I mean, like I said, this this story just set itself as a scene. <laughs> um and it it gave a really accurate depiction as to how an actual human being with their flaws and their virtues might handle this scene and it gave a good introspective it's a and great character that. study sometimes it doesn't have to have all this complexity or it doesn't have to have all this floored prose or it doesn't have to have like you know element upon element layer upon layer of symbolism although there was i think more i think this was misleadingly dense um right, especially right. when it came to the end but sometimes it's just like really fun to like land yourself in a scene and see how someone handles it so it's it's one of those weird SNL sketches that doesn't make you laugh out loud, but afterwards you think back on it and you're like, <laughs> right. there was more going on than I gave it credit for. Um, and so I really appreciated it. And yes, I'm very interested in reading more Algernon Blackwood and not just because of the notoriety that he's established in the genre, but because this story really kind of, it it sang to me personally. Yeah, I've read a little bit of his work. I've read The Willows, um, and I think I've read mm -hmm, a couple mm -hmm. other short stories. And they've all held up. Like, each one I finished and been like, oh, that was a great story. I'm glad I read it. I yeah. think this one is probably my favorite, though. Really? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. Uh, I, this one is not my fa my favorite. I do love this story. I love The Willows more. I think The Willows is is almost a perfect weird fiction story. <laughs> because oh, very it, cool. It, it does it. Does it exactly what Damien just said, where it like brings you into this scene. It describes it perfectly. And in the midst of that description, you realize that you're cowering and you, and you don't really know why there's no reason <laughs> for you to be cowering. That's a good point. Um, but you, you find yourself doing exactly that. So yeah, uh, I, I have enjoyed the Blackwood that I've read before this and and do hope to read more myself i think the writing of this of this story is is masterful uh, it tells you no more than you need to know um <laughs> it it is it is very uh brief is brief is almost the wrong word because it gives the wrong impression it is exactly right, so as much... long as it needs to be right yeah. yeah right and and it is a great character study in these of these two individuals who may or may not be in the end, all that different. <laughs> well, I, mean, I really it's, liked, it's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, after you, Jess. Okay. I, my favorite genre of story is hilarious slash bad thing happens to a terrible person, which I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think this falls. So all Kafka. <laughs> yeah. Just like you're, you know, you're struggling with something, but like you've made it harder on yourself, right? You have caused this problem. And so I was thinking about Line Engine versus the Ants when I was reading this, because it's a very, very different approach, but it's also the same thing of guy creates a problem with some bugs. Hilarious result. Well, Line Engine was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He, he fell victim a... to a flood of ants. And yes, sure. he treated his peons like peons because he <laughs> called them peons firstly, but. But he also could have left. And I feel like. Yeah. But he had flamethrowers. And if you have flamethrowers. I think you'll you're looking for an occasion to use them. Oh, maybe yeah, so. He, but he, maybe he, did, so. he did leverage smoke and fire in the story. That's true. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, Milligan, it's the same but opposite problem, right? Like he could have left. He could have just not taken a shower. He could have done any number of things. Yeah, but he was so devoid of machismo that he stood <laughs> right. there like a cowering right. chicken. Yeah. But, well, I mean, that's the best part of the story too for me, right? Like, so, so it really Mullins is. is like, like, excuse me, you done? I need to shower. Yeah. But I like how he looks. I like how when Mullins is there and he's like, you know, hungover and he looks down, he's like, oh my God, it is real. And then he just like whips it with a towel to stand right. it, picks right. it up, throws it out the window, <laughs> and then he throws it out the window and flies away. It's like, right. thank you, bye. <laughs> and then all is well. And Milligan's and, like, 
what just happened? Meanwhile, the reverend is standing there, like investing all of this yeah. with great meaning, and, and <laughs> right. no, it just doesn't exist. Yeah, no, and thinking true. about how this. brave he is and how smart yeah. he is, and oh god, I'm so proud of my decisive action. And his decisive I mean, action is like this is definitely a hit piece. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a hit piece on I think religion in general. So unfortunately, but when you when you embolize <laughs> the humans involved, it really does kind of downplay uh, a men of the cloth. Well, there, there was there was a great line, and I think it was already referenced by somebody about how uh, Mulligan. Uh, see, I did it there. I did it. I conflated them. Mil- Milligan, <laughs> excuse me, Milligan. Uh, when somebody leaves in the middle of his sermon, no muscle of his face betrayed right. the wounded vanity yeah. and annoyance that burned I get deep that. in his heart. We've um, all been on a Zoom call where someone you can tell is like typing something else. You're like, what are you doing? I'm speaking. Get well, back to uh, well, my Well, I, in fact, have been in the middle of a sermon when somebody has departed. So I know that exact circumstance. <laughs> and it does wound the pride. Uh, but I have to, as I think, as I think back on that particular instance, um, I can't imagine what offended these two women so that they departed the sermon. Uh, it was... The only thing I could come up with was that it was during uh, during the season the season of the year in which we are attempting to raise money, and they were brand new. Uh, this was their first Sunday in church, and if that's if that's your first Sunday in church, and that's the sermon that you're hearing, I get it, right? Right. <laughs> I, I don't, don't want to. I'm not beating this machine. About, I'm right. Not, I'm not going to pass the plate. Uh, yeah, 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 but but sure. my thinking too, like, and this is my wounded vanity speaking. Like, at least wait to the end of the sermon before you leave. Like, don't get up in the middle of it. Uh, but that could just. Well, so let me ask you, what's worse talking. is like is like seeing someone who's sitting there and like tuned out. Either they fall asleep or they're staring at the phone the whole time. Or people who just get up and go. Like if you see falling them asleep is easier watch. to is easier to manage, and and that is something that happens. Um, what if they're loud snorers? That would be more difficult. <laughs> so so right now, loud. like because of because of the pandemic and everything, we've had to go to a live streaming option. Uh, even even sort of in Florida post pandemic, sure. uh, we continue the live streaming option. And so we have somebody who manages the live stream during the service and they do it from their phone. Um, this has caused great offense among at least one other member of the congregation who sent me a nasty email about quote, that man who's on his phone, the whole service. Oh, it's like, no, he's, he's dealing, he's dealing with the online version. He's supposed to be on his phone for the whole sir service. or madam. They're right. on my team. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, either way, um, I, I get the, uh, inflection and the, investment that is placed upon this hornet but i I just i i don't know i think it comes across as like him manifesting his internal insecurities on this bug that obviously posed no threat where he was painting that threat as being 500 times more uh vicious and aggressive than it actually was and so throwing in lines like that it just does nothing but ram or you know give greater ramp that up yeah and yeah yeah. And and I think you just hit the nail on the head too, Damien, right? So how many of us have have woken up in the middle of the night thinking about a, a work problem, for example, Ugh. and it's just awful. And then the next day you're like, oh, okay, fine. Like <laughs> right. all things resolve themselves at some point. They may not resolve the moment, themselves it perfectly. It's so much more tragic and absolutely because you're imagining is. like these horrific circumstances <laughs> that in reality will never happen. Well, this you know, too, most cases he, people are just like, okay, we'll go that way. Great. He has <laughs> to think about it as this big scary thing right. to kind of excuse his inaction. If it's just a bug laying on the floor and he's hiding, then he's a coward. Showers, right. Then, you're absolutely right. right. Yeah. But if he's, you know, it's this bug and he can see it, you know, rubbing its little paws together, getting ready to bite, then like what else, how else could he handle it than to hide and run right. and slam doors on it? Right. <laughs> so I, when, he I gets mugged, mention- when he gets mugged by a 13 year old with a pen knife, he actually <laughs> says it was like a group of yes. aggressive yeah. thugs with machetes. Yeah, tw- 12 right. guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have to mention what I feel like is the elephant in the room or the, or the hornet in the shower of this, there of this story. Mm-hmm. This is not particularly a weird tale. No. What is no. the weird element of this story? I don't think it's weird or scary. I yeah. still really like it, though. Uh, I <laughs> yeah. agree. 
I think I think the weirdness is that it's an author known for weird tales. I I think I think you're right about that, Damien. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, so I do mean, you it's think, a good fit. I think it's funny in the collection. It, I, it is. It is a good break. It's like it's like the Wicked Flea. I mean, the Wicked Flea was a little weird, but it's also it was also a little like you know, fifties Cleaver esque uh, in its approach, and it was nominal, and it was like this sort of I don't know, just a clever break. It still yeah. fit the theme, but it, I think as we discussed a few times in some previous episodes, like putting weird as a label on something. Nobody can disprove it. Well, that's why I keep coming back to it because right. here, here we have this story. Like, what makes this weird? I, I, I don't know that it is a weird story. Yeah, uh, I think we're all is, in agreement. There. It is a well-written <laughs> story from a master of the genre, but who also may, as we see here, dabble in other in other forms of writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's going to take us to our last question for the evening. Do you think? He attached this story to his Christmas card that he sent to his father that year. <laughs> I mean, it had to at least be a you know dedicated to my dad in like the first printing or something. Yeah, I think. I think he I think he sent it to his dad, but he intentionally misspelled his dad's name and possibly his address on the envelope. Right, right. No, a hundred percent. This is this is a reaction <laughs> to his father. <laughs> I, I, I get so many times I get people coming up to me like panicked because like my son or daughter is 13 and they've announced that they no longer wish to come to church. And I say, well, so they're normal. Yeah. Right. What shall we do about welcome that? To, well, yeah. Welcome to 13. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's fine. all right. Does the scare hold up for you? No, I don't think there's a scare. Yeah, I don't I mean, think there was a scare initially. I mean, I think it's similar to the first story we read, the uh, Poe one. The Sphinx. Where he imagines, yeah, he imagines yeah, the, the big moth and the terror is. Another scene. It was just yeah, a scene. Right. Yeah. Interesting. You know, the terror is just kind of like what your imagination can do, I guess. True. Uh, but that one was, you know, during a pandemic, locked away, you know, far from home. And this is just like guy in a bathroom <laughs> I, that's that's fascinating which is scary which is scary because i i guess this t- betrays my particular fear of stinging insects because I, I found the writing to be terrifying about the hornet the idea of a hornet in a room in, in a closed environment in which i am is very scary to me so that's so funny <laughs> yeah i thought i will say a- that the scare held up for me it was not supernatural <laughs> at all but i was afraid of this hornet like, i would not be like, the mullins who I don't picked have my it up and tossed it out the window right. i'll tell you that oh my that's goodness so well just have that was the most scotches. nerve-wracking moment of the whole story when he picks the damn thing up <laughs> i thought it was hilarious how, how he just he treated it like yeah. the nothing burger that it was that yeah, was like it was like it was an earthworm let me just yeah this is not a problem yeah <laughs> well friends that takes us to our whiskey ratings this is how we rate stories here on whiskey and the weird between zero and five fingers of whiskey damien i'm going to go to you first what do you rate this one i really enjoyed it i mean it was it was a great entree into i think what i am anticipating as being a, an excellent collection of works by algernon blackwood um it wasn't like a perfect story, but it was super strong and I'm teetering between the four and four and a half, but I'm going to go with four. Um, I say four with the utmost respect and that it very easily could be four and a half, but it wasn't as far as the story goes. It wasn't weird. It wasn't scary. I wasn't terrified by the insect, but the writing was exquisite, really drew me in. And I think it told a complete tale in very few pages. So because of that, I think four is a strong rating. Fantastic. Jess, how about you? I wrote down a four and a half. And for me, I, you would. I know this is one of my <laughs> favorites in the collection. The thing that keeps it from being a five is I don't necessarily think it needs to be part of the collection. I'm glad it mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's you know necessarily a weird tale. It just gets uh, in so there because it's a Blackwood story. Because yeah. it's a Blackwood story. Yeah. It's fun. The writing is great. Yeah, I'm I'm siding with Damien on this one. I'm giving it four fingers as well. Blackwood's writing has an incredible capacity to unsettle me. This is a proven capacity (laughs) over and over and over again. It's almost a physical reaction. Uh, I, I, no lie, I think it was years 
after reading The Willows that I was comfortable going camping again. <laughs> uh, so, but, but to me, this story is held back from giving the full fist to it because in this context, in in the context of this collection, yeah, it's not a weird tale. No, yeah. it's a great tale. It's a wonderful scene. It's a great mm-hmm. character study, but it's not a piece of weird fiction. It's written by a weird fiction author, but it's not a piece of weird fiction. There's nothing weird or supernatural right. or paranormal or however else you want to define weird. There's nothing about it that is weird. So uh, it's great to see that we all really enjoyed this one. Yeah, um, it was very enjoyable. So who's got our if this, then that for tonight? I got one I'll throw out there. If you enjoyed this story, then I've got another one that contains crazy run-ins with unexpected natural creatures in a bathroom. And that would be (laughs) (laughs) uh, the short story, Here There Be Tigers, by not Ray Bradbury, of whom the uh, title was extracted, but by Stephen King, uh, as published in his... uh, well-known collection of short stories, Skeleton Crew, 1985. Uh, in this tale, it surrounds uh, a protagonist, a young boy who's in school who really needs to go potty. And upon walking into his school's restroom, discovers there is a full-size tiger in the bathroom. And what follows is a truly King experience. I strongly encourage you to read it and the entire collection. I think King... Um, you know, there's there's pros and cons. And yes, he tends to be typified with contemporary horror. But I think that this was probably in his days where he was pretty coked up and his stories were <laughs> just a lot weirder and a lot more excellent, especially in the short story realm. Here There Be Tigers by Stephen King is going to give you some real symbiotic flavors as to what you caught in today's tale. I got to tell you, Skeleton Crew was my first introduction to adult horror. It really it was. Yeah, it was uh, much to my mother's chagrin. It was given to me by my fifth grade teacher uh, because he noticed oh, nice. that, uh, that I was reading all the time and needed more to read. And um, he he gave me skele- a copy of Skeleton Crew, which is um, I thank him for even to this day. So, uh, Mr. Don <laughs> Westbury, if you're listening, I am so appreciative of that. My mom is still pissed at you. But look what you've spawned. You've you've gotten a podcast out of me on a kind of giving me skeleton crew. So, well, what's well, really, gonna... I mean, also, well, before we before we wrap up, what's really interesting about the collection is that it has a couple other stories that I think thematically follow in with this, like the slow processing of of a threat that may or may not be an actual threat, mm-hmm. like the raft. Uh, the raft is moved. one of the my raft is favorite really good. stories. Yeah. yeah, it got moved. I mean, it was it was adapted to screen in a creep show part two, which was. Um, you know, scripted by George Romero, uh, but it was it held very true to the original story. Part two which of is that just series, this, eh. yeah. Well, uh, okay, um, but you know, <laughs> it did, it did, it did essentially like you know put people on an inescapable situation with this innocuous like floating sheen of oil that ended right. up eating their friends. But then also within that collection was the mist. Uh, which has Phenomenal. some very similar uh, overlays with regards to the unknown and some insectoid type creatures that may that's or may some not insectoids. Be. Yeah, you know, I think that's a word. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it also, you know, not not that it has anything to do with this particular story, but it also contains my personal favorite short story by Stephen King, which is The Jaunt. Which, if you haven't read The Jaunt oh. by Stephen King, is that the is time con- travel? Like it's 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 the teleportation yeah. story, yeah. And I think it was absolutely one of his strongest short pieces. Oh, I, I uh, love that that's your favorite one, Damien. I, I didn't, it, I wouldn't have guessed that. Thank you. It really, it really is. I think at the time that I read it, you know, when we talk about like favorite movies, and like my favorite movie to this day is Willow, and not because oh, I think it's so the best movie I've ever seen, but at the <laughs> time that I watched it, it was the one that struck me the hardest, the most. Yeah. Like, right. So that's how that that is my sort of qualifier. And so as far as the best short story by Stephen King, it is the jaunt because at the time that I read it, it was the one that hit me the hardest. The one that struck like, wow, you, right? this is the greatest. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think for me, the mist out of that collection at that time was what did it for me. I was like, this is an unbelievable story. I, yeah. This is amazing. 
and it was very and, good. And none of the film or TV adaptations of it have done it justice, in my opinion. <gasps> Do you say? Did you know that King actually thought that the adaptation for I think the made for TV movie uh, and the ending, which was wildly divergent from the book's ending mm-hmm. or from the story's ending, he, he liked said it. this is how it should have been. Interesting. And so he no, actually I didn't know that. It. No, that's great. Yeah. So if you haven't read the story of the mist, I think a lot of people have seen the contemporary uh-huh. like media version of it and have been like, that ending is crazy. I hear a lot of people talking about it. The book is wildly different. Um, and King actually prefers right. the screen adaptation. So so the screen when you say the screen ad- adaptation, do you mean the Frank Miller film yeah. or the TV yes. series? No, the Frank Miller film. Okay, because there was a TV Starring series Aaron, as well. What is it, Aaron Eckberg or Aaron? No, Aaron. it's that other guy who looks just like him. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Jane. Yeah, Thomas Jane. My bad. And they have the same face. They do. Aaron <laughs> Eckberg, I think, is who I was thinking of. Sorry, Thomas Jane. Uh, we funny we because Aaron Eckberg played Two Face in the Batman films. So oh, this is funny that you crazy. say he has the same. Can face? we wrap yes. up this episode? This yes, is let's nice. wrap up this episode. <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. Hey guys, thanks. To this episode of Whiskey and the Weird, in which we discussed mostly Algernon Blackwood's story <laughs> on the Egyptian Hornet, which we all universally enjoyed. If you could do us a huge favor and rate and review us wherever you catch your podcasts, that would help us to get noticed and inspire us to bring more stories to you. As always, we thank Dr. Blake Brandis for providing the music for us here on Whiskey and the Weird. And Jess, what are we reading next? Up next, we've got Beyond the Star Curtain by Garth Bentley. That sounds vaguely sci-fi, and I am yes. super excited for it. It's a Damien, if they're looking to get in touch with us, where can they find us on social media? The social type? Hit us up on Twitter at WhiskeyWeirdPod, at WhiskeyWeirdPod on Twitter. If you're more of the Instagrammer, we are at Whiskey and the Weird at whiskey and the weird on Instagram. We spell our whiskeys with an E and we hope you do too. If not, folks, I got some bad news for you. I'm going to trap you in a shower until a hornet decides to possibly sting you, but likely not until your nemesis comes in, snaps it with a towel and throws it out the window. I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And together we're Whiskey and the Weird. Thank you so much for joining us. Damian, send us home. As always, keep your friends through the ages and your creeps in the pages. Pour another dram for yourselves, everyone, and have a great night. Bye-bye. It's a good one. It is An Egyptian Hornet by Algernon Blackwood. I do love Blackwood, and I'm excited to talk about it. But first. Yeah, just the phrasing on that one was. (laughs) You think, Jess? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to pass out. I'm going to keep drinking my gallon of whiskey.